name's Margo, not Brent, I'm Margo, uh, and I'm the Wear Love Pastor here. I like to fill in every so often, get some extra estrogen up in here, so sorry if that's not your jam. But uh, my job right here is to help out occasionally on Sundays, but usually I'm what's called the Wear Love Pastor, which means I get to connect you guys with opportunities to serve and love on other people in the community, and that's great because... We as a church think that one of the most important things that Jesus highlighted by his example was not coming to the temple on, on Sabbath days, but actually going out into the community and loving and teaching and being an encouragement and an inspiration to those around him. So I love that Eastlake highlights that and encourages that and that I get to be a part of that. So it's great. Uh, but if you're here for the first time today, welcome. We're in a series called Guardrails. You picked a great week to come out, even though it's the end of the series I think it's a great week because uh, this whole time we've been talking about guardrails and guardrails in the sense of what are the things that we like to put in place of our lives to help us to stay out of what we call the danger zone or things that usually lead to either our lives getting a little bit jacked up, messed up, or hurting other people. And that's always good. Uh, guardrails on the highway are meant to protect and direct you, and so what can we do to establish healthy guardrails in our own lives? And uh, really what guardrails encourage is what a big fancy word would be, behavioral modifications. And that sounds intense, but we have all learned to make behavioral modifications in our lives. If you don't believe me, uh, if you have a small little person running around your house, they learn from an early age, if I cry, I get attention. And so they learn, they learn that. And then once you figure out, once you catch on, oh, hey, they're just crying to get you know, a cookie or attention or a cuddle from me, then they have to adjust their behavior. They have to modify their behavior to get the end result. So they always keep you on your feet. That's other people. For us, we learn growing up, hey, there's things that I should do and shouldn't do. If I want to, A, be alive, B, not stay grounded, C, be a healthy contributing member of society, we've all done dumb things that we've learned lessons from. For me, I remember some of the, the silly things I've done is, I remember thinking, chocolate is great, hot chocolate's even better, bubble gum is great, hot bubble gum. This sounds like a winning idea. So I remember chewing, it was like a that bubblicious, I think it was the cotton candy flavor. I don't know if they make that anymore. The one that was the bright blue with like the pink on the inside, the big chunks of it. And I remember chewing on it, sticking it on a light bulb, waiting for it to get nice and toasty, ripping it off. And before my fingers could be like, this is a bad idea, throwing it into my mouth, which I realized was a really bad idea. So I, I modified my behavior to realize that hot bubblegum wasn't good. Um, another Another thing I did, if you have heard me talk before, I've shared this, so I'm just going to go over it quickly. Uh, my sister, who is seven years older and should know better, told me once that um, daddy shaves, so I should shave. Um, so once you walk down the hallway with your face all cut open, looking like something from a horror movie, and your babysitter just starts screaming bloody murder at the, at the, kinder, at the kitchen table, then you know that I probably don't need to shave my face. Uh, and that was a behavior that I modified. One of my favorite ones, and I probably shouldn't say this because it's not my own personal story, but I've just told too many embarrassing ones about myself, so I'm letting myself off the hook here. I had a roommate in college who said, until the age of 14, she did not know a basic fact of life, which was that you did not, this may be a shot, maybe this is going to help someone in the audience and I don't feel so bad, you actually don't have to get completely naked 
in a public bathroom stall to go to the bathroom. For 14 years of her life, she would get completely undressed in a public bathroom stall to use the bathroom, and she did not realize her error until one time it took her an extra long time, and her parents were asking her, like, what, what, what's the deal? And she's like, well, I had a hard time getting my socks off. And they're like, ah, uh, <laughs> okay, maybe we didn't go over this, didn't think we had to, but that was a behavior that she had to modify in order to, to be a, a healthier or at least less weird member of society. So we've learned to monitor and modify our behaviors in order to be successful. Uh, we've learned to monitor and modify our behaviors, which is why Guardrails, I feel like, is a great series, even if you're still kicking the tires on Christianity, being like, I don't know, I thought Christianity was a bunch of rules, do's and do nots, then now I walk into this space and they're saying, oh, hey, we're going to talk about some do's and do nots. I was right. I'm just going to leave, leave this place and just not bother with it. But really, we know that it's healthy. We've already been doing this in our lives. We've already realized some stuff we do is good for us and helps us, and some stuff is bad. So I would like to throw out the caveat that guardrails are completely personal. There are some things for you that are like, I know I need to avoid these situations. I need to avoid these people. I need to uh, avoid this and that in order to keep myself out of the danger zone where someone else may not have the same struggles, may not have that same background, and that's totally understandable. And so for me, like I know I have a newer car and it has this one have the lane assist thing. It's a new thing where it beeps if you get close to the yellow line or the white line. It has some sort of sensor. And I love it because when I don't have coffee, it's pretty helpful. <laughs> and now you guys are like, all right, what does Margot's car look like? I don't want to be driving before her before like 10 a.m. But I know like when it beeps, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm like, I'm jamming out too hard or I'm not focusing and it helps me keep in my lane. My husband loathes it. He loathes it with a passion. And it, took, it, was, it was a good thing to find out that you can turn it off because I thought he was just going to get road rage, just go all crazy just because he was so annoyed by this thing, the sensor beeping every three seconds. And it is infallible because if um, they've paved in a certain way, other reflective surfaces can set it off when there's not even a line. And so he was so frustrated, he turns it off. So I know for him, that is not a guardrail or a barrier that he enjoys or is helpful to him. In fact, it actually probably distracts him from what he's doing because he just gets aggravated. And then it, we're all miserable. So for me, it's helpful. For him, it's not. And we get to make that choice. So we all have different things in our lives that we struggle with or things that, that are, are weak points that we need guardrails against. But uh, I think everyone benefits from guardrails because no matter how many things that you're like, you know, I was, I've made choices or bad choices in my past, but now I feel like I'm in a groove. Now I feel like I'm doing things better. But all of us are really prone to every once in a while doing something dumb. And then we end up saying to ourselves, I don't even know where that came from. We get in a, a fight with our, our partner. And we're like, I don't even, who was that person that was just yelling at them? Where did that come from? Or we get into a falling out at our job and, and an exchange has happened and we say, where did that come from? I don't know. Or we just make a horrible, a horrible choice, a lapse in judgment, and we say, where did that come from? That's not me. And so I want to dig in today and find out because we are all prone to this. We're all prone to having those moments, those, those laps, and we end up shaking our head on the side of the road saying, I don't know. It came out of nowhere. Where did it come from? So how do we protect ourselves from those things that, could, that pop up out of nowhere, apparently, and try to derail us. 
So guardrails, guardrails directing and protecting us. And there are personal standards of behavior that we decide. So what are your personal guardrails to help save you? And I'd, I'd like to think that the Bible has some wisdom in it. Even if you're not totally on board the Jesus, Jesus train, I'd like to think that uh, if you sit down with us today and listen to this, that you'll take away something. And one of the people that writes in the Bible is this guy named Solomon. And if you're looking at the story of his life, it says at one point he said he could ask God for anything. Ask God for anything, and God would give it to him. And so some of us would be like, I know what I'd want. You know, I'd want my mortgage erased, and I'd want my student loans gone, and I want kids that listen to me no matter what, and all these things. Solomon, he could have asked for riches. He could have asked for so many things. And instead, the one thing, the one thing he asked God for was wisdom, he says, I know that the most important thing for me to have is to be wise. And when I'm wise, then everything else falls into place. I'm able to make better financial decisions, relational decisions. So he asked for wisdom. And then we have this book of writings that is, that is attributed to him of wise sayings that Solomon has written. And what, it's called the book of Proverbs. These are all like really short snippets. This would be like the Twitter feed of the Bible or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the cute little letter, letter board, felt letter board because it's all these inspirational or helpful quotes. And one of them, one of my favorite ones is found in Proverbs 4.23. And it says, it starts with the line above all else, which means this is more important than anything I've said. Above all else. I'm giving you tons of good advice, but above all else, this is the first thing. If you get this wrong, None of the rest is going to matter. Above all else, it says, uh, one of the translations says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So this is the ESV translation. People get weird about translations of the Bible. All it is is uh, we're taking stuff from either Hebrew or Greek, and sometimes they have like five words for love. So when you're translating into English, you have to decide which is love, you know, which love are they talking about, which is why we have different translations. So don't think that like, oh man, Thou shall not kill as thou shall not quilt. Like, we can just go and, you know, get guns and take care of some problems. No, that's not how Bible translation works. It's more trying to take, take like, like I said, love has five words. And which one is he talking about here? So that's why we have different translations. This one says, keep your heart with all vigilance. So another translation says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it flows the springs, oh, no, for everything you do flows from it. That's the NIV. So it says, guard your, keep your heart, guard your heart from everything you do flows from it. This is the source. Everything flows from it. And then the last translation I wanted to look at, this is all the same verse. It says, keep thy heart with diligence. If you grew up in the Catholic church, the church, the KJV may seem familiar. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And you're like, my life has issues. This is my translation right here. Keep thy heart with all diligence. So we see this word being used. It says either guard or keep. So I'm a nerd. I wanted to know what the original Hebrew said just to see like what's going on here. So the word, if you look at it in Hebrew, it says it's this word nashtar, which means to guard, to protect, to maintain, to conceal. It also can mean to be closed or to be blockaded. And you're like, man, I know in traffic, if a road is closed, it just caused chaos blockaded, I understand that. To guard, protect, maintain, conceal can seem kind of weird, but you're like, I know those people in my life that I just need to avoid. I just, I need to make it so they can't find me on social media. I need to change my number. I need to conceal myself to protect myself from that drama, 
that bad situation, sometimes we do need to conceal in order to protect ourselves, in order to guard ourselves. But what was really interesting to me, if you look at other points in the Bible where this Hebrew word nashtar was used, it was often used when they were talking about agriculture and, and when it pertains to a vineyard. And so it says to keep a vineyard. If you're keeping a vineyard, it means that you are sort of like to guard a vineyard, to keep a vineyard, but it makes sense. Because if you look at a vineyard and all the work that goes into keeping a vineyard, you learn that it is a job that you cannot slack off on because there's always weeds coming in to try to stunt the growth of the grapes. There's animals that may try to come in and eat the grapes. There are so many factors that you have to work and protect your vineyard from in order to get it to be successful. And there's a reason why we don't, uh, if we're hiking in the Cascades, we don't come across wild vineyards because a vineyard is something that can only happen when there is a person maintaining it. Because grapes in the wild, if grapes in the wild are growing, what happens is they actually get a little too excited because they're just growing, 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 and they grow so fast that they actually kind of, they defeat their purpose of producing grapes because the leaves are all competing and they don't produce the fruit that they should. So to make a vineyard, it takes a person going through branch by branch, vine by vine, taking care of it, trimming it, maintaining it to get what we want. And more than that, it is a long-term gain. You don't go into a vineyard saying, awesome, in a week I will have the best wine. I'm going to save so much money. Sorry, Bernard Griffin, like I got my backyard rig going on. It's great. It doesn't work that way because a vineyard, when you plant a vineyard, this is just to get your first crop. You're talking about a five to seven year investment. And that's a lot. I know um, I have a couple friends who are parents of children that have autism. And they said what was really hard was um, oftentimes children with autism, they, they don't, they're not really good with the verbal communication and the eye contact and things like that. So they would see moms and they, they, the baby would be gazing into their eyes lovingly. And that, that moment when your kid says, I love you for the first time, how special that is. And they said one of the hardest things is like, I know in my head that my kid loves me, but my kid hasn't said it to me yet because they struggle. So they're doing this investment of years and years of taking care of this child, bringing them to specialist appointments, and they're, in a way it can feel like I'm not, getting, I'm not getting my crop yet, I'm not getting my grapes, I'm not getting that fruit, because my child cannot verbalize to me, I love you. And they know the pain of putting years into something before you see any results of that, and, and the, how that can feel. And that is how we are to keep our hearts because sometimes it takes years to make the positive changes. Sometimes we are, we're sitting here today and we have these burdens, we've had these barriers in our lives and we're like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get over this. This sounds great to have this free heart that's healthy, like God wants it to be, but that sounds like a lot of work. And I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> it is a lot of work. And sometimes it takes years of vigilance to get our hearts in a place where it's healthy and producing fruit, producing good things, contributing back into the world in the way that it was meant to. But it takes vigilance, it takes long-term commitment, and it has to be intentional. Like we said, vineyards aren't in the wild, they don't happen accidentally. So how do we do this? How do I say, all right, how do I be intentional to cultivate a heart that is healthy with guardrails? Uh, I like to look at this account of uh, interaction that Jesus had and it's found in the Bible in Matthew 15, 10. 
And he was just arguing with some of the religious leaders because they loved like little silly rules and Jesus didn't. He's saying, all right, the most important thing is to have a good relationship with God. So little tiny rules just keep people back from understanding who, who God really is. So let's look at the bigger picture. And so we see that he's, he's talking to a crowd and trying to explain some things to try to say, all right, ignore the, the silly little rules and let's look at the bigger picture. And so it says, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said, listen and understand this. Because the Jewish society, they said, all right, it's all, it was very like me and God. Don't, you know, what, are, what do I have to do to keep God happy? So their vision was always looking upward. It was always like, all right, I got to behave. I got to do all the right things. And they had a lot of laws that they called rules about food and clothing. And they, they were constantly living their lives and like checking over their shoulder to make sure that God was happy. And so a lot of them had to do with don't eat this because it will make you what they would call unclean or like unappealing to God. If you're unclean, God doesn't want anything to do with you. So he says, listen and understand this. It's not what goes into the mouth of man that defiles and dishonors him. So he's talking, it's not about what you eat that makes your relationship with God strained, that makes God unhappy with you. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles and dishonors him. He's saying, you want to make God happy? You want to have that relationship that you hear about? It's not about what you put into your body that affects that relationship. It what comes, it's what comes out of your mouth. And this is interesting because for so many years, the Jewish people have been living on this focus on God, focus on God. If me and God are good, then it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing around me. And Jesus makes them take their vision from this looking up to looking out, because when he's talking about what comes out of your mouth, he's talking about what do you say to the people around you? When you get frustrated, what comes out of your mouth? When you're tired, when you're cranky, when you're aggravated, what is coming out of your mouth? This is actually what hurts your relationship with God. And that's hard to understand for the Jewish people because they've never taken that focus off of God and realized God cares about the people around me. It hurts God's feeling when I say things to his children. But that makes sense if, if you're a parent or even a sibling. If someone says something awful to your kid or your sister or your mom, you're upset about it, right? They didn't say it to you, but it hurts you because you care about them. So it was hard. Like It makes sense to us in our relationship, the way our relationships work today. But for the Jewish people, it was so hard to understand that God cares about other people. And so the worst thing that we can do to, to God is to actually be horrible to other people. So let's continue. Uh, in this in this passage, it says, Peter asked him, this is Jesus, one of his followers asked Jesus, explain this parable about what defiles a person to us, saying, I'm not getting it. <laughs> I'm not tracking with what you're saying. Can you slow it down? Can you break it down? And Jesus said, Jesus has the sense of humor, guys. He gets frustrated too. He says, are you, <laughs> are you so dull and unable to put things together? He's saying, this should be clear. I set this example. This should be clear. Do, do you not understand that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach? They're like, all right, mouth, stomach, and then gets eliminated. Oh, Jesus just made a, you know, bathroom joke. Okay, we're getting it. Mouth, stomach, eliminated. We understand this. We get this. But whatever word comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this is what defiles and dishonors the man. So Jesus broke it down and said, this is the problem. Because whatever you put in your body, it's going to get processed. It's going to be, go away. But what comes out of the heart, that's what matters. And then he continues to explain some of the things that come out 
of the heart, which is not necessarily words, but things that come out of your, your heart, your intentions. And he says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and plans, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false te- testimonies, slanders, verbal abuse, irreverent speech, blaspheming, gives a big old list. In case it's not clear the things that can come out of your heart, if your heart's not in a good place, these are the things which defile and dishonor the man. But eating with ceremonial unwashed hands, like not doing the whole religious hand washing, that does not defile a man. He's pretty much saying God could care less about your religious ceremony if this is what's going on in your life. That the ceremony means nothing to God if you are doing this to people that he cares deeply about, if you're hurting other people with the state of your heart. And it's, it's, it was super hard for the Jewish people to understand this because that's all they had known is this, focusing on God, focusing on myself, focusing on God, focusing on myself. It was really hard to understand that their actions hurt God's feelings because it hurt God's people. And so we have to be extra vigilant to understand that in our current day, that what I do and what I say doesn't just affect me, it affects others. And we have to understand that all the source of this, like we looked back in Proverbs with Solomon's wisdom said, this flows from the heart. The heart is the source. And we are, we're not, our behaviors just don't come out of nowhere. So when we make those choices, when we, when we go off the road and end up in life's ditch, and we ask ourselves, where did that come from? I didn't see that. That came out of nowhere. We have to ask ourselves, where was the root of that? There was a, there was a seed planted somewhere in me that led to this. Because if you really think about it, our, it's not that our, 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 our behaviors mirror our hearts. Our behaviors mirror our hearts. It's not like, oh, this happened and I had no idea. The only thing that your body does that you're unaware of is what in the medical terms they say, like your, 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 your subconscious body, like your liver's working and your lungs working. These are things you have no control over that your body does. Everything else starts at a source, and that source is your heart. So our behavior mirrors our heart. So we may think, I don't have a heart issue. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I love people, and I care about people. I don't have an issue. But then we look at our behaviors, and they are sometimes the clearer picture of things that we need to work on and things that we need to address because our, our behavior mirrors our hearts for better or for worse. And this is especially important if you have children because they are watching what you're doing. And they're and they going to mirror your behaviors, which are mirroring your heart. So really, your children are going to mirror your heart. So if your heart is full of unease and unrest and unforgiveness, then your children are going to pick up on that and mirror that because they copy behaviors, which are copied from our hearts. So we need to trace those behaviors back. And so some of the, I would like to think that the four biggest seeds, as it were, of, of that lead to, to bad behaviors or unhelpful behaviors are the next four that we're going to show up here. We have guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. So guilt, guilt is that feeling of, I owe you. A lot of us are burdened with guilt because we know we've made bad choices. We know that we, we've been in the wrong and we're burdened. We can't move on in our life. Our, our actions are totally chained to this because we're under this burden of, I owe you, I owe you. And sometimes the other person doesn't even know that you're feeling guilt because you haven't, they don't know that you've done something. And that's gonna, you're, you're gonna, 
want to do everything you can to conceal it and to cover it up as you're feeling, oh man, I owe them, I owe them, I owe them, I shouldn't have done this, I owe them, I owe them, I owe them, I feel so bad, and you're trying to hide it, and that bleeds out on everyone that you're interacting with. Not even the person that, that would have the most issue with it. It's going to bleed out in your work life. It's going to bleed out in your relationship with your kids. If you are feeling guilt, it just bleeds out and it creates chaos. The other, the other seed that we struggle with is anger. Anger says, you owe me. You owe me. You took this from me. You took my innocence from me. You took... Uh, you, you ripped me off in that deal, you said something horrible to me, and you owe me an apology, you owe me. And you get so angry. And the thing, especially about anger, is anger is never isolated to the relationship of origin. So if you're angry at someone that's done something horrible to you, and I mean, I'm not excusing their behaviors at all. They could have done something that was truly horrible and, and truly can, would throw anyone off and, and be a stumbling block to them. But if you're holding on to that, it never stays isolated because you carry that anger into every relationship after that one. You carry that anger into all your interactions because, well, I couldn't trust her, so I'm not going to trust anyone else. I couldn't rely on him, so I'm just going to wall myself off from everybody else. I can't be vulnerable. I couldn't be vulnerable with her so I can't be vulnerable with him. We carry that vulnerability, we carry that anger into every single relationship after that. And we think, until you pay me back, I remember you, you owe me, until you pay me back, until that person pays you back, I'm going to hold this over you. And anyone that reminds me of you, and long after you're out of my life, I'm going to hold other people hostage because of what you took from me. And that's, that's not guarding our heart. That's letting past hurts dictate us and letting us and putting us in a frame of mind and a heart space that actually hurts the people around us, even if they're not the guilty party. The next seed that, that we, we carry is the seed of greed, which says, I owe me. <laughs> I've earned it, right? Treat yourself. That's the phrase right now. Like, I, you know, I earned that spa day, that ladies weekend, that guy's night out. I've worked hard. I owe me that upgraded truck. I owe me that larger mortgage payment. I owe me this. I owe me that. I owe me a night of not worrying about the consequences of my actions. I've been so stressed, I've been working so hard, I owe it to myself to just let loose and let whatever happens, happens. I owe me. But that also blocks us off from, from giving to other people. We hear about tragedies in the news or we see a GoFundMe on our, on our Facebook page of a family that's lost someone and we say, oh man, that's awful. And as much as my heart goes out to them, my money may not. Like, my heart goes out, right? Thoughts and prayers, my heart goes out, but the checkbook stays close, right? The hearts go out, the checkbook stays close, because I owe me. I owe me a little bit. And then the last one is jealousy, which says, life owes me. And some of you are saying, well, you don't, you don't understand, Margot. I, if you talk about the, the childhood I had, Life owes me something, right? I did not have the parents that most people had. I did not have the financial situation or security that most people had. 
I did not have these advantages that other people had. So life owes me something better. Life owes me a life of, of comfort and security. Life owes me. And really what that gets translated into, if you start wondering about a higher power or God, is it gets translated truly into something else. It gets tr translated into God owes me. God, come on, you owe me this one. You owe me this one. And it's hard. I have one of my favorite, closest family members. He struggles with this because he lost his mother at a very early age. And he always, and I know when I, whenever I talk about, why don't you like just try? Because I know that he needs something else. Because he's just, he's doing everything in his own strength and it's not working. And I know that having a, not church, not religion, having a real relationship with God would give him that strength, would give him that peace. And when we talk about it, I know that it comes down to this, is he's just so angry that his mother was taken away from him when he was young. And he says, God owes me, and he has not seen that paid back. He's like, I, you know, I had to go to war, and then I got, you know, messed up at war, and I've financially, I've had this, and I've gone through a divorce, and I've battled with this, and now I have this, uh, this, this medical condition and all these things, and God owes me. I've gone through so much, and this anger, this God owes me. God owes me something better. And I can understand it, but at the same time, it just makes me sad because I know that's limiting him, and that's putting him in this place of ever breaking out of that and ever getting to something better. So what do we do? What do we do with these statements? What do we do with these seeds? And there's some answers. The first one, if you're feeling guilt, it's to confess. And it's not to the guy that you don't know in a box with like the screen and all that stuff. It's saying to the person, hey, I've battled with this for a long time. And I'm really sorry that that happened. And that, <laughs> that takes guts. And you may think, it's not worth it. Trust me. <laughs> they're going to find out and they're going to flip out. And I, you know, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose this relationship. But what I can say is that living in guilt and that cycle of guilt, there's going to be a, there probably will be a storm. I'm not going to lie. There probably will be a storm that comes with this confession, but the storm will end. And then you'll be able to say, all right, I've gotten it off my chest. I'm no longer caught in this cycle of guilt. When the storm settles, I can actually start living my life and moving forward, not trapped in that anymore. And that's better. It's scary and it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant. But to get to that point, that is where healing comes for you and the other person. This is where freedom comes. You're not trapped in that cycle. If you're burdened by guilt, confess. And maybe you're like, that person's passed on or I'm out of touch. Sometimes it does help to confess to another person, your spouse or something, and be like, you know what? In high school, I was kind of a bully. <laughs> and I've said some really unforgivable things to a lot of people. And I, I'm really hurt by that, that I was that person for this period of time. Or, you know what? In my first relationship, I, I was a jerk. I was abusive. I was these things. And I've never gotten over the guilt from that. It, confession is a healthy thing. It's not like, oh, so now I have something to hold over you because I know all these secrets. Confession is for us. It's not for anyone else. It's to get us out of that and lead to a path of healing. The next thing we can do, if you're angry with someone, forgive, which is so hard. 
Uh, I, I, one of my favorite quotes about anger and forgiveness is it says, uh, being angry with someone or, or withholding forgiveness is like drinking a poison and hoping the other person dies. Drinking a poison and hoping the other person dies. Because when we hold on to our anger, we, we do ourselves a disservice. We continue to, to keep wounds open that God wants to heal. We continue to keep ourselves uh, low and crushed down and burdened when God wants to free us from that. When we stay, and I think Brent's talked about this in the past, normally the things that we're angry about someone can't even be repaid back. Like if you, if you had, if someone took advantage of you as a child, there's, there's, you're not getting that back. You're not getting those years back. Maybe you can get the therapy costs back. I don't know. You're not, you're, they're unable usually to pay it back to you. So when we hold on to anger, we're just punishing ourselves. So forgive. And that's really hard, especially if the other person is not going to say they're sorry or doesn't know that they hurt you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying if you want to know how to break out of that, how to have uh, a heart that's free, a heart that's, that's going to cultivate something that's good in your life, forgiveness is key to that. And just acknowledging, yeah, this is something I need to do, may be the healthiest first step you can do. For greed, I owe me. Give. And this is, I know Brent already talked about uh, relationships and, and money last time, so I might as well just keep the talk up here unpopular. Uh, but give. Give, in, like they say, give until it hurts. So I like, uh, I think the, one of the pastors I heard talk about giving, he's like, write a check that's big to you. <laughs> not big to, to your neighbor, not, not big to someone else. Write a check that's big to you and give it to a charity that's doing something great in the community, in the world. Because when you, we talked about it the other week, when you allow your finances to, take, to, to determine how comfortable you are, how much peace you have in your life, then that's the only way to have peace is to have money. The only way to have comfort is to have things. And they end up having control over us. So when we do generous things, then it ends up freeing us from that cycle. And maybe it's not things, maybe it's not money that's holding on to you, maybe it's possessions. Like you have that room, your kids are like, do not touch, do not sneeze on my bike, do not do these things, this is my holy grail, you're not allowed to touch this. And when we have these things in our lives that you're, no one else is allowed to touch or, or play with or participate with, then it creates this thing that shows that these things in our lives are more important than the people in our lives. When your kid breaks that thing and you, you lose it, you lose it, the message that sends to your kid is that this object is more important than you. And that's not saying that your kids should be, you know, running around and throwing things in the house. Like, you're not trying to convey that message. Kids should, you know, be behaving and be respectful of items. But when you lose it, your kid's going to remember that. They're going to hold on to that. Because it sends this message that you're not even intending to say that objects matter more than you. So give. Give, give an object away that has a lot of, uh, has value to you. Give generously because it frees us from that. And I'm not saying give to Eastlake. I, I don't care what you're giving. Give to something, give to someone that needs it. Give to a charity that needs it because it frees you from that jealousy that wants to keep you in that trap. And the last one, which I think is probably most helpful, when we're facing jealousy, it's to celebrate. And this is, this is really challenging. And I'll tell you, of all the people that come to me, and I'm sure Brent would say the same thing. People that are struggling with things, with that God owes me, life owes me, 
the one way to get out of it is to stop looking at what life owes you or what God owes you and to celebrate the things that you do have. Because when you live a life focused on gratitude, instead of what you don't have, then it changed the script. Instead of saying, well, my husband doesn't do this or she doesn't do that, celebrate what they are doing because that changes it. And sometimes you have to remind yourself, set a little reminder in your phone, all right, at 5 p.m. every day, I'm just going to say out loud the things that I'm thankful for and celebrate what I do have in my life. And in the back of your head, like, even though it's like this much, like it's a very short list, Margot, celebrate the things that you have because that changes, it frees you from the cycle of God owes me and life owes me to appreciating what you have and then you have more joy and then you're not one of those people that everyone avoids because they know every time they have a conversation with you, you're just going to tell them all the things that are going horribly wrong. And we know those people. And if you don't know those people, maybe this last one you should highlight, you know, put on your note sheet a little bit. We know those people that were like, oh man, I don't want to talk to Nancy because every time I talk to Nancy, she just tells me like, oh, this and this is going wrong. And he said this and I can't believe these are the people, we are the people that need to celebrate because when we are cheering on the things in our lives that we do have that are good and awesome, even if it's that small list, it changes our outlook. Start the day with celebration, eating your lunch, celebrate that ham and cheese sandwich, and end the day with celebrating, I had a safe commute to work, I still have my job, I still have my roof over my head. When we celebrate, it frees us from the burden of jealousy. So we can say, you know what? Instead of saying, my childhood is awful, Margot, you can say, I'm so grateful for the people that encouraged me to seek something better. Or I'm so grateful for that mentor or that sponsor that helped me to break the cycle of addiction or poverty. Instead of focusing on what you didn't have, Focus on the steps that even you're like, you know, I'm so grateful that I made different choices than my parents. I'm so grateful that I get to raise a family in a different way than my parents raised their family or my mom or my dad raised his family. Celebrate, celebrate. Uh, a pastor friend of mine said that he would ask his kids every night. He knew that their heart condition was important. So it's hard as an adult to train your mind to like check your heart every day, being like, man, am I feeling jealous about things? Am I feeling guilty about things? So he started early with his kids every day. As soon as they could like kind of hold a conversation, he'd tuck them in at night, you know, tell, tell a little bedtime story. And he'd say, you know what, you know, Aiden, how's your heart today? Did, did anyone want to make you upset? Were you jealous of anyone? You know, was, was, there, was there anything going on like that? And their kids would say, like, yeah, you know, so-and-so pushed me on the playground and I'm really mad at him. And so he would do this every night with his kids. Even when they were in, still in high school, he would still tuck them in and say, you know, how's your heart doing? I know how your day was, but how's your heart doing? How are you feeling? How are you doing on the inside? Are you struggling with anything? And he said one night, he knew he'd got something right because he was, he was tucking his daughter in. And she's like, I know, Dad, no, I'm not angry. I don't feel guilty. And he, he, had, to, he had to laugh. But at the same time, he knew he did something right because she knew to check herself at the end of the day and see, all right, is there anything I need to work on? This is my vineyard, I'm in it for the long run. What do I need to cultivate? What do I need to work on? And so that's my question for you guys today. We're gonna have a time of communion, but during that time, I want you guys to ask yourself, just like a parent would to you guys, how is your heart doing? Is there anything that you're struggling with? Is there anything that you're working through?